This is the Retirement Lifestyle Advocates Radio Program. I am your host, Dennis Tubergen. Happy New Year, everybody. Glad you decided to listen in on this first weekend of the new year. Joining me on today's program in segments two and three will be Mr. John Rubino. Uh, John is the co-author of the book, The Money Bubble. He also has the website dollarcollapse.com, which is constantly updated uh, with links to terrific news stories. I'd encourage you to check it out. Uh, John is a frequent commentator, both on television and on radio, and uh, it's going to be a pleasure to chat with him today. You won't want to miss the conversation I had with him this past week. You know, uh, Congress has passed and the president has signed a COVID relief bill, $900 billion. That's part of a larger bill that totals $2.3 trillion. I'm going to talk about that in today's segment. But in January, I will be offering a report. This will actually go out to all of our clients automatically. But if you'd like to get a copy of the report titled, Does the Recently Passed COVID Relief Bill Threaten Your Retirement? Uh, I think it's an interesting perspective. And uh, in it, we'll uh, outline the threats to your dreams of a comfortable, stress-free retirement and give you some practical things that you can take a look at incorporating into your own personal financial situation. Uh, To get your copy of the report when it becomes available, just go to requestyourreport.com. Again, the report is titled, Does the Recently Passed COVID Relief Bill Threaten Your Retirement? And you can get your copy by just going to requestyourreport.com. Let us know where to send that, and we'll be very glad to do so. You know, when you look at the circumstances surrounding how this COVID relief bill was passed, if you're paying attention, you have to be a little bit upset. And I'll tell you why I say that. The bill is 5,593 pages. And it was passed on a Monday And the text of the bill was released at 2 p.m. on Monday afternoon. And it was passed by both the House and the Senate by midnight the same day, before midnight, actually. So at best, lawmakers that voted to pass this bill had less than eight hours to review almost 5,600 pages of legislation. Now, I may be showing my age here by using the Evelyn Woods speed reading course as a reference, but there is no way that lawmakers could sit down and read, read one page of this legislation roughly every three to five seconds. So the reality is, and I find myself strangely agreeing with Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, She said, members of Congress have not read this bill. It is over 5,000 pages. It arrived at 2 p.m. today, and we are told to expect a vote on it in two hours. This isn't governance. It's hostage-taking. Representative Thomas Massey of Kentucky complained about the fact that the House had voted to scrap a rule which requires that representatives are giving 72 hours to read legislation. That did not happen. Former Democratic presidential candidate Tulsi Gabbard voted against the bill 
and released a video saying there's no way that anybody in Congress had the opportunity or time to go through and read this bill to know exactly what was in it. I've been here long enough to see how provisions are snuck into these bills literally in the dark of night without any announcement, without telling anyone what's in it, and then rush through in the manner we have just seen. And that, of course, is exactly what happened. Now, interestingly, the House passed a bill that nobody read, 359 to 53, and the Senate passed it 92 to 6. That, to me, is disturbing. Even more disturbing is how this $2.3 trillion spending package will be funded. The Federal Reserve's balance sheet, and as I'll talk about with John Rubino in the next segment, the balance sheet is really just a proxy for how much money the Fed has created, literally out of thin air. The Federal Reserve's balance sheet began calendar year 2020 at $4.2 trillion. It's now $7.3 trillion. So that's about $3 trillion that the Fed has created literally created out of thin air in the last year. Now, add another couple trillion, give or take to that total, and it's likely Washington is not done with stimulus. Now, the brutal truth is this. There's only one way more stimulus or spending can be funded, and that is more money creation. No matter how noble, no matter how well-intentioned, No matter how needed additional stimulus may be, when the additional spending is funded by money creation, it is a tax that falls squarely on the shoulders of savers and investors and consumers in the form of inflation. As a side note, it's remarkable how political culture regarding spending has changed. There used to be a hesitancy. If you go back long enough, there was even a strong resistance to unfunded spending. No more now, we have Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell saying the Fed would support whatever expenditures Congress approved. But the sad news is this is not just about stimulus. There is a lot of pork in this bill. Now, I don't have time to go through all the pork in the bill, but I will give you just a few examples. There's over $130 million to Nepal for development and democracy programs. That's on page 1,485. There's almost $170 million to Vietnam, including $19 million to remediate dioxins. There are unspecified funds for -for not-for-profit, gender-accessible education institutions in Kabul, Afghanistan. Both of those are found on pages 1,476 and 1,477. There's 15 million for Pakistani democracy programs and an additional 10 million for gender programs, whatever that is. That's on page 1486. There is over $505 million to Belize, Costa Rica, El Salvador, Guatemala, Honduras, Nicaragua, and Panama to address the migration of unaccompanied, undocumented minors to the United States. That's on pages 1490 to 1491. Now, I could go on and on, and you can color me cynical, but I think it would be quite interesting to follow the money here and see who might be benefiting. 
I would encourage you to ask your representative and senator how they voted on this bill and why, and why they would vote affirmatively on a bill they hadn't read. That said, as I'll talk about in the last segment of today's program, this additional spending, this crazy level of spending, threatens you and your dreams of a comfortable, stress-free retirement. To that end, I would encourage you to order our January report titled, Does the Recently Passed COVID Relief Bill Threaten Your Retirement? You can request that report by going to requestyourreport.com. Again, the website is requestyourreport.com. We also have available many free resources. As I often state, no one cares as much about your money as you do. To that end, these resources intended to educate you are available on our website. The website is retirementlifestyleadvocates.com. That's www.retirementlifestyleadvocates.com. When you go there, you can get access to the weekly update webinar. You can also get access to the podcast that we produce each week and also get a free subscription delivered via email every Monday at 5 to our Portfolio Watch newsletter. Again, take advantage of these resources. They are there to educate you. RetirementLifestyleAdvocates.com is the website. I will be back after these words with my special guest, Mr. John Rubino. Welcome back to RLA Radio. I'm your host, Dennis Tubergen. I have the pleasure of joining me once again on today's program and the first program of 2021, Mr. John Rubino. Uh, John is the co-author of the book, The Money Bubble, and he also has the website dollarcollapse.com. The website is dollarcollapse.com. And I would encourage you to go check out the website, and there is a Join the Email List button. You should click on, enter your email, and you'll get all of John's terrific information. So, John, welcome back to the program. Hey, Dennis. Good to be back. So, John, you published, uh, or you wrote, or co-authored, the, the Money Bubble. And for our listeners that maybe are not familiar with that book, uh, talk about you know, when it was published and, and really what motivated you to, to write the book and the premise of the book? Yeah, well, well, James Turk, the founder of Gold Money, which is a, a big gold storage company, uh, and I wrote that book in, in 2014 um, on the assumption that we we had pretty much gone as far as we could go with all the borrowing and spending and money creation things, and that, the, you know, the financial system was um, was getting ready to break down and be replaced by something else. And, you know, lo and behold, six years later, this, you know, this, this terrible, um, unsupportable financial system is still limping along, you know, and it hasn't collapsed yet, but um, it's, uh, it's doing a lot of the things that, uh, that we predicted it would do in the book, which is to say having bigger and bigger booms and busts, and then reaching a point where, um, where a bust was so severe that everybody in sight had to be bailed out for trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars, and that that would shift the pressure from the economy over to currencies, 
which would, you know, because we're creating so much new currency to, uh, to manage all the debt we're taking on, that that would push down the price of the dollar and the euro and the yen versus real stuff. In other words, all the big currencies would start to fall versus um, farmland and gold and silver and housing and now Bitcoin and, and the other cryptos. Um, and we're starting to see that now with the, uh, the dollar starting to fall, huge amounts of new currency being created around the world. And, and again, in 2021, that's going to have to happen just like it happened in 2020. Uh, so a lot of the, uh, you know, the really extreme gloom and doomy kinds of predictions in that book are finally starting to come true, which means the, uh, the investment advice in the book is finally really timely. <laughs> so even though the book is six years old, um, it, it actually is more applicable now than apparently it was when, when we published it. Um, and that's bad news for everybody except the people who take steps to protect themselves from what's coming. Well, and I have read the book a couple times. I'd encourage the listeners to do that as well. You know, John, for those people that think, you know, 2020 was, was an aberration from a new currency from thin air standpoint, you know, it's really uh, probably not, as you indicated. The Fed at the beginning of 2020, I think they had the balance sheet was a little over $4 trillion. It's now over $7 trillion. Now we're looking at another $2.3 trillion in uh in, in, in spending that will be supported largely by, by just more money creation. Where do you see the, Fed, the Fed's balance sheet being at this time next year? Well, the, the Fed's balance sheet is basically a, a proxy for how much new currency the Fed has created and dumped into the market. So, the, you know, the increase in the money supply via the Fed shows up on its balance sheet. So, yeah, when it's rising by trillions of dollars a year, that means there is a flood of new money pouring into the system. And we're seeing that now because, you know, when, when the government creates a lot of new money and dumps it into the system, it doesn't go equally across the board. It usually flows into a few sectors. And, and in this case, stocks are soaring and bonds are soaring and trophy real estate is through the roof and houses are up. So, you know, we're seeing raging inflation in certain parts of the economy because of all this new money. And now the Fed has to do, do it all again because um, – the coronavirus, or more specifically, our response to the coronavirus, all these lockdowns, have basically gutted the U.S. economy and the global economy. We'll, we'll talk about the U.S. Uh, so we can focus on the Fed here. And, um, you know, right now, going into 2021, we have the restaurant sector on its deathbed. We have hotels at, uh, you know, 5 or 10% occupancy rates in a lot of places. The airlines are a mess. The cruise lines are a mess. Um, commercial real estate, you know, the guys who own malls, they're, they're dying left and right right now. And state and local governments cannot pay their bills and their, um, their pension obligations are just blowing up on them. So all of those guys need to be bailed out, which means this, this coronavirus relief bill that we just passed is a drop in the bucket. It is so inadequate compared to the need out there that it will be um, superseded pretty soon by an even bigger one. You know, this was $900 billion or whatever. The new one is going to be um, 2 or $3 trillion <clears throat> by necessity because even that won't cover the, uh, the, the breakdown in state and local financial budgets. Uh, but the $900 billion that we just put out won't even scratch the surface of the bills we have to pay. So we're going to have to do another one here. 
in the not too distant future. And then the Fed is going to have to finance all the borrowing that's required to do the big uh, bailout. And that means we've got to create a lot of new currency. You know, we'll just have to flood the system with dollars again. And so, the, you know, the, the sound money thesis, basically, what, what gold bugs believe and what I think is absolutely true is that um, at some point, basic supply and demand kicks in when we're just creating so many new dollars that the value of each individual dollar starts to fall at an accelerating rate. And once that happens, the, um, the Fed and the other central banks of the world lose their last tool for manipulating markets because you can only uh, prop up the stock and the bond and the housing markets with newly created currency if people think that currency has some value. And as soon as that ceases to be the case, then it's game over for this whole thing. You know, the whole fractional reserve banking, fiat currency, central bank dominated economy that the world has developed since we went off the last vestiges of the gold standard in 1971, that breaks down. You know, it just stops working. And that's going to be chaos for everybody who's depending on the money in the system for their savings. Like if you have a bank account, um, you're in trouble. If you have a bunch of bond funds, uh, those bonds are paying you interest in a depreciating currency, which means their value goes way down. So um, a lot of people who trust the current system are going to be hurt by this very, very badly. And so the message that I know that that's your message to, to your listeners, and that's the, uh, the message that I'm putting out there, is that it's time to protect ourselves and our families from what's coming by getting away from that stuff that depends on the value of the dollar or the euro in the end, um, and into real assets that don't have counterparty risk. In other words, they don't require somebody else to keep a promise for them to have value. And that's that's really the investment thesis going forward that I think makes the most sense. And, uh, you know, real assets are gold and silver and farmland and rental houses and maybe some energy assets, things like that, that, you know, you just can't make more of very easily. Uh, and therefore, they tend to be valuable even in crazy financial times. Well, if you're just joining us, I'm chatting today with Mr. John Rubino. He is the co-author of the book, The Money Bubble, which, uh, as John pointed out earlier, was published six years ago, but probably more relevant today than it's ever been. Um, his website, again, dollarcollapse.com. I'd encourage you to check that out as well. Uh, John, uh, when, you, when you look at history and you look at, the Roman Empire, you look at early colonial America, you look at Weimar Germany, you look at John Law's France, and every one of those cases where we had really really a, a currency fail, uh, it was because the government went down the spending road and spending was off the charts and there was only one way to finance it, and that was by creating currency. That seems to be where we are today, at least that's what I'm hearing you saying. Is there any hope that this could be reversed at this point, or are we just too far gone in your view? Well, we're at the point where we have two choices. Uh, one, because we have all this debt that we have to get rid of somehow because we can't manage mm -hmm. it. So one way to get rid of it is the 1930s approach, which is to have everybody go bankrupt, and then the debt just disappears through default. Um, the other is the, uh, you mentioned a lot of inflationary episodes in human history just now, and that's the other way to get out of it. You create even more new currency, make the currency way less, less valuable because um, there's so much of it out there. And then the debt that is based on that currency becomes easier to manage because it's you know it's still paying the same number of dollars, 
but those dollars are cheaper and easier to get. So you manage your debts that way. Uh, we're going to try that second approach, obviously, because that's what we're doing. Um, and there's no guarantee that it succeeds, but historically, a lot of countries have tried that and seen their currencies collapse, right? So you can, yeah, you can get out from under your debt, but at the cost of a hyperinflation that bankrupts everybody who has their savings in that currency. Uh, so I think that's what's coming because we really only have those two choices. You know, we, we owe so much more than we can ever hope to pay off in normal times um, that we're going to try to get rid of it via inflation. And once you let that genie out of the bottle, it's not something you can control. You know, um, a financial um, analyst named Jim Rickards, who, whose books are must reading if you want to understand what's going on out there, has this analogy. He, he says the people in charge of the monetary system think they're working with a thermostat where they can just tweak it a little bit. You know, we'll move it from 68 to 69 degrees and that'll be fine, you know, and then we'll move it back down to 66. But what they're really working with is a nuclear reactor uh, where once it gets past a certain point, it goes critical and blows up. And um, because that's what we're working with, and these guys don't understand it. They're taking wild chances with it and creating the conditions in which it can go critical, you know, and, and that's probably in monetary terms what's coming, where the system just spins out of control because we no longer have the ability to manage it via monetary policy or fiscal policy. You know, we just have no tools left and it's going to do what it's going to do. And we're just, you know, bystanders at that point watching the train wreck. Um, and, you know, I, it, it, what happened with the coronavirus is that um, it moved all of this stuff up from the indeterminate future to the immediate future. You know, we have to make these choices in 2021, and then we'll see the results of those choices in later 2021 and 2022. Um, so it's right now. You know, this is no longer one of those um, um, inevitable things. It is now an imminent thing. And that's what makes it such a fascinating time, but also a terrifying time, because, uh, you know, you shouldn't wish living through something like this on your worst enemy. And all you can do is, is try to minimize the impact of it by doing the things I, I talked about before, you know, getting into real assets. But most people won't do that. So we're going to see our friends and our family members who, um, you know, trusted the status quo get hurt really badly in the next few years. And it's going to be really unpleasant. Uh, and the only upside is that, um, you know, if we make the right decisions and we've got a lot of capital available, we can help our friends and family. But there's a limited amount of um, help that you can give somebody when they go bankrupt because they trusted the government. Uh, and in episodes past, in other words, in past hyperinflation, that changed the culture of the country in fundamental ways because everybody lost faith in their leaders. And in a lot of cases, they ended up um, either electing or allowing to take power people like Hitler or Napoleon. In other words, you get authoritarian government during times of extreme crisis because people just want the bleeding to stop. You know, they, they don't want to hear about the Constitution anymore. They don't want to hear about civil rights. They just want the craziness to stop right this minute. And, uh, and so they tend to be open to people who promise to do that. Um, and those guys tend to be very scary dictators in a lot of cases. Well, our guest today is Mr. John Rabino. 
The website is dollarcollapse.com. I would encourage you to go check out the website and get on John's email list. He has a lot of great information you won't want to miss. I'll be back with John after these words. Stay with us. I'm Dennis Tubergen. You are listening to RLA Radio. I'm chatting today with returning guest to the program, uh, Mr. John Rubino. Uh, John is the co-author of the book, The Money Bubble. Uh, the book is uh, very relevant today. What uh, John and his co-author, James Turk, uh, wrote about six years ago is uh, now coming to pass, so the advice in the book is uh, very relevant his website is dollarcollapse.com, and I would encourage you to join his email list. He's got some great stuff he puts out, and uh, his website has uh, uh, ever-evolving uh, information with a lot of terrific links to uh, uh, good stuff in the news. And from what I can tell, John, you update that every day. Uh, oh, yeah, Dennis. It's a continuously updated site because, uh, you know, there's so much stuff going on. <laughs> it's very easy to find interesting stories that, that relate to, you know, the dark side of the financial world because we are making mistakes everywhere you look, and those mistakes have consequences. So it's a, it's a fun topic to cover, especially at, at this point in history. So let's talk, John, a bit about um, what's happened with just gold and silver prices this year. Uh, both have had terrific years. A uh, bit of a, a, a pullback here at this point as we're recording this. Um, where do you see gold and silver prices going? And, you know, there have been a number of ad admitted instances of, uh, of price rigging in both of those markets over the past few years. To what extent do you think that is suppressing the price? And, and, and where do you see gold and silver going from here? Well, gold and silver have had pretty good runs over the last few years. You know, they bottomed at below $1,000 an ounce for gold um, in probably, I think, let's say 2017. Okay. And they've been running up ever since kind of irregularly. And um, in, in mid-2020, gold hit its all-time high. So we're back in the bull market for precious metals. Uh, but it is irregular. You know, you go you go up for a while and then have a correction. And, and then we're going back up again in gold and silver at a time that's really good seasonally, too. Normally, um, January and February February are excellent months for gold and silver because of Asian buying. People, um, they have their weddings in Asia in the spring and summer, and they like to give gold and silver as wedding gifts. So the jewelers over there have to buy a lot of gold and silver, and that pushes the price up seasonally, usually. And that's starting to happen again now. Um, at the same time, we're doing these gigantic... Um, bailouts of everybody in sight, and they will continue in the coming year, which will um, put the wind at precious metals back monetarily. In other words, the Fed is going to have to finance all this new borrowing, and some of that money is going to flow into gold and silver. So I, I think this is going to be a good year for precious metals and a great year for the mining stocks, because um, you know if you're a gold miner and you're already making money, and then gold goes up by another 20 or 30 percent. That's all gravy. You know, your margins just explode. And then that brings you to the attention of investors who look for earnings momentum, which then they buy your stock and that pushes the stock price up. And then momentum traders come in who are looking for rising stock prices and you get this positive feedback loop. 
thanks to rising metals prices. So the miners could have just a phenomenal couple of years. Um, now, having said all that, you're right, there, there's manipulation of all the big markets out there. So gold is no exception. Uh, but I, I think it's important to understand that there are two different kinds of manipulation. One is the, the big one for, for gold, which is that see, the, the central banks of the world that have a lot of gold have been suppressing the price of gold by lending their gold bars to what are called bullion banks, big banks that then sell that gold in the open market. That pushes the price down um, up to levels that are lower than would be the case just if gold was reacting to the monetary madness that's going on out there. And so that's probably been going on for a long time and has resulted in gold being lower than it would be otherwise. Um, and then there's the other kind of manipulation that's been in the, the news lately where traders on big bank crop trading desks um, push the metals prices in the futures markets one way or another using fake orders or other kinds of manipulation in order to be able to trade in and out at a profit. And some people have been, I think, going to jail for that just lately, but it, it's not very important in terms of the long-term trend for gold and silver. Um, so I, I, I think the big behind-the-scenes manipulation is still going on, but that's creating a short position, which eventually ends that kind of manipulation because the big banks that are borrowing that gold from the central banks have to give it back at some point. In other words, they, they've sold it to make a profit in the market right now, but at some point they owe that gold back and they have to go out and buy it. So. We're um, at some point looking at a big short squeeze because of that manipulation in which the central or the big banks, the bullion banks, have to go into the market and buy gold at any price in order to get it to give it back to the central bank. And once they start doing that, uh, that's going to be upward pressure on top of the upward pressure from um, a falling dollar and euro and yen and from a panicked populace. So we could just see this perfect storm for precious metals when you got the, the bullion banks buying because they have to. Um, lots of other people buying because they're desperate to get out of dollars and into something that's not going to tank in value the way the dollar has been. Um, and possibly central banks buying because they need to back their dramatically declining currency reserves with something that's not declining. Uh, so I think we could see... Um, Prices for gold and silver don't even make sense to people today. You know, $10,000 an ounce gold is very easy to envision in that kind of a world. And if gold goes to $10,000 an ounce, silver goes to a couple of hundred bucks an ounce very easily. Uh, and so that's the kind of thing that's out there at some point. As all these forces come together to create that perfect storm, um, the problem is, with waiting, you know, if you if you think, okay, wait till, you know, I'm going to wait till I see all this stuff happening, and then I'm going to jump in. Well, when you do that, it's possible that it won't be possible anymore to jump in because the um, the gold that is available and the silver that's available is so inadequate compared to the money that's going to be flowing into those markets that if you want gold coins or silver coins you may just not be able to get them, you know, or you'll hear from your dealer, oh, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll get you some silver maples, but um, you have to pay twice the spot price and you have to wait for six months for me to be able to get the inventory to give it to you, you know, but in the meantime, give me your money. That's the kind of story you're going to hear out there. So uh, a lot of people who are waiting 
or the sure signs that this is going to happen are going to be disappointed because by that time it's going to be too late. So you kind of have to position yourself now in anticipation of stuff like that and accept that you might have to wait a while for it to play out. You know, John, I was uh, over the past couple of weeks, I noticed that uh, I think it was a country of uh, Uzbekistan uh, that actually the central bank of the country has now started to put various quantities of gold sealed in like a credit card sized uh, card, if you will, and they're and they're encouraging people to buy those and and use those in, in commerce. And I think uh, it was the Italian central bank that came out and said that gold is a good asset to own. Are we seeing a change, a slow change in the, in the posture uh, of central banks toward gold around the world, and that they're kind of you know encouraging citizens to to use gold? Yeah, it's not even really a slow change anymore because central banks used to be net sellers of gold. In other words, they would sell you know. 400 or 600 tons each year um, as a way of raising cash that they can invest in bonds, and, uh, which yield interest. Well, lately, they turned into net buyers, and, and big-time net buyers, you know, seven, 800 um, tons of gold in a given year. Um, and, you know, that adds buying pressure to a market that was already pretty tight. So now you basically have everybody buying. There are no big sellers of gold left in the world, only buyers of various sizes. Um, and, you know, China and um, Russia have already, over the last few years, been pretty much buying all the gold that was produced by the world's gold miners. So any gold that um, investors bought came from Western central banks that were secretly selling their gold. Well, they're not doing that anymore. Most of them are buying now. So you've got China and Russia still accumulating. We've got the big central banks in Europe buying gold. Um, and that's why the price is starting to trend back up now. You know, it's, uh, well, at its high in 2020, it, was, it had doubled from its low in this cycle. And there's really no end in sight for that trend. Um, gold is, you know, it's pretty big and slow moving sometimes. So it might not feel like we're in a bull market, but we actually are. If you look at the trend, it, it turned um, basically um, mid-decade. And now it has been trending up. And with all of these big players out there buying it, I think the trend just gains steam going forward, although there will be corrections here and there. But the overall secular trend is going to be strong and long, I think. John, we've got about two minutes left in this segment. I want to go back to where we started. Uh, you know, uh, in the book, The Money Bubble, um, you, you, you predicted a lot of this, and uh, or all of it, really. Uh, and it seems like whenever you study uh, currency breakdowns and, and hyperinflations that uh, there, there's always a tipping point where the population kind of wakes up and says, wait a minute, I don't want this paper stuff. I want something else. Do you see 2021 as the year that we reach that tipping point? Well, 2021 is when we, we have to do some even more extreme financial things, like bail out everybody in sight, basically. And um, the question is, can we get away with it? You know, the numbers will be much bigger, and more and more people will be worried by what they're seeing. But will it be that critical mass of people who, um, who see what's happening and see that it's the, um, the explicit policy of governments to make their currencies worth less and less year after year and act accordingly by just bailing on the currency. Um, that we'll have to see, because I would have guessed 
that 2008-2009 would have been the time when that was going to happen, when we were bailing out all the big banks and everything. Uh, but it didn't happen. We got away with taking on another 10 or so trillion dollars of new debt in that time. And the economy ended up, you know, to most people's eye, growing steadily and in a healthy way for a long time. Um, the numbers this time around are going to be massively bigger than they were last time around. So it's possible that this is the time when, uh, you know, all those zeros and all those trillions finally freak people out and cause the markets to react against the, um, the financial debauchery that, uh, that has been going on. And we get that uh, the thing called a crack-up boom in the Austrian, Austrian School of Economics, you know, a point where prices of real things just skyrocket because everybody's cashing their currency out and getting into real stuff. And that basically crashes the system. Uh, so 2021, it could be the year in which that happens. But it also... Um, is definitely the year in which we set the stage for that to happen at some point. So we're doing things that will bring about the, the crack-up boom and the subsequent crash. Uh, but when exactly that happens still can't be predicted. I think 2021 is an, an absolute possibility. Uh, and sometime in the next five years is a high probability. Well, our guest today has been Mr. John Rubino. I would encourage you to check out his website at dollarcollapse.com, and there is a link to join the email list. I'd encourage you to do that and get all of John's uh, terrific research and information. John, always a pleasure to chat with you, and uh, Happy New Year. It's going to be interesting. Thanks, Dennis. Happy New Year to you, too. It is going to be very interesting. We will return after these words. I'm Dennis Tuberg, and you are listening to RLA Radio. And again, uh, Happy New Year to everyone. And thanks again to my special guest, Mr. John Rubino, for joining me on today's program. You know, as I talked about in the first segment, we are literally on an historical path when you look at economics and you look at finance. There are many, many examples historically of countries or empires or civilizations who have overspent to such a crazy level that the only possible way to fund it was to create more currency. Traditionally, governments fund their spending by taxing. When they start to overspend, in other words, spending more than they collect in tax revenues, they begin to issue bonds. They begin to borrow money from investors to fund their overspending. And once the debt gets to a point that investors are no longer interested in buying the bonds, then they start to create currency. It has happened time and time again throughout history, and each time, while the timing may not be completely predictable, where these civilizations or countries or empires ultimately ended up is 100% predictable. The path is clear. And that brings me back to the recent $2.3 trillion spending package uh, 
that has been recently passed by both the Congress and the Senate with no time to read the bill. Now, the Federal Reserve's balance sheet, which, as I talked about with John Rubino, is really just a measure of how much money the Fed has created. That's increased by over $3 trillion. And now with another $2.3 trillion spending bill, and mark my words, they're not done, you can assume that the Fed will have to create more money to fund this. Well, this has happened time and time again throughout history, and there are many examples, and I'm going to give you just a few in this segment. So you can go all the way back to the Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire had a solid currency initially. The currency of the Roman Empire was the denarius. It was 90% pure silver, so it looked a lot like a silver dollar or half dollar that was minted in the United States before 1965 when our coins were made of silver. Over time, however, because of the overspending of the Roman emperors, the denarius began to be debased. And eventually, the denarius was a complete fiat currency containing no silver, and inflation abounded. You only need to look at the salary of a Roman soldier, which has been documented historically, to see that as the denarius was devalued, the salary of a Roman soldier increased by threefold. Then there's colonial United States. Many people are not aware that we had a currency failure in the history of the United States. About the time of the Revolutionary War in 1775, the United Colonies Congress issued $2 million in credit notes. Now, these paper credit notes were to be used as money, and they were nothing more than a promise to pay the holder of the notes back out of future tax revenues. They looked a lot like U.S. dollars look today. There was no link to gold or silver. These paper credit notes were known as continentals, and they ended up causing massive inflation before they failed, and deflation set in. The same exact pattern as we saw in the Roman Empire. In fact, the first president of the United States, George Washington, commented that a wagon load of currency would hardly buy a wagon load of provisions. Then we could look at the example of France after Louis XIV died. Louis XIV was a very popular king because Louis XIV was a very generous king. Lots of giveaway programs and spending was off the charts to the point that spending could only be covered, could only be funded by increasing the money supply. And after Louis XIV died, the central banker of France, John Law, began to debase currency, just like in the Roman Empire, and then began to issue paper money that could be exchanged for gold. That link between the paper currency and gold was eventually eliminated because law had printed too many paper notes. That's exactly what happened in 1971 when then-President Richard Nixon eliminated the link between the U.S. dollar and gold. Eventually, after a period of prosperity, which always comes about when money is initially created, the French financial system collapsed and deflation set in. 
And of course, the most famous example of inflation followed by deflation because of massive spending is Weimar Germany. You know, Germany initially decided to fund World War I by using the printing press, justifying that it would only be temporary. And that's always the narrative whenever money creation out of thin air begins. Well, it didn't take long, and that money printing created inflation. Germany eventually lost the war, and after the war, Germany continued to print money in order to pay their reparations. Well, you know the rest of the story. It only took four years, and the German mark was devalued by a factor of $29 billion. The mark failed, and then deflation set in. So the pattern, once money creation starts, is very clear. Once there's no other way to fund spending and money creation is the only option, you ultimately get inflation followed by deflation. And it seems that that is the path on which we find ourselves. If you'd like to get a report titled, Does the Recently Passed COVID Relief Bill Threaten Your Retirement? It talks about this particular topic in more detail talks about some strategies that you might consider in your personal situation. And I'd like to invite you to get the report by visiting requestyourreport.com. The website, again, is requestyourreport.com. Just let us know where to mail your report, and we'll be very glad to get it out to you. That's the show for this week. Hope you got something you can use. I'll be back again next week. 